the new fully electric Audi e-tron GT. Enjoy the breathtaking performance and design of the future of electric mobility from Audi. With Quattro-inspired flared wheel arches and matrix design LED headlights, every element has been carefully considered and selected to help deliver a thrilling drive. And with an acceleration of 0 to 100 kilometers per hour in 4.1 seconds, the Audi e-tron GT is performance electrified. Start the future now and visit audi.ca to learn more. Between May and June, Canada added more than 1 million jobs. To put that in context, that's about 40% of the roughly 3 million jobs that were lost during the entire pandemic. I'm Gabe Friedman, and this week I spoke to Fabian Langa, Canadian Research Chair in Labor and Personnel Economics at McGill University. Langa said the pandemic has forced labor economists to study everything a little closer. Are wages really rising? Are employment numbers improving as quickly as they should? There were multiple answers to everything. We spoke about what happened in the labor market since the start of the pandemic and what lies ahead. As always, this interview was edited for Clarity and Brevity. Hi, Fabian. Thanks so much for joining me. Hi, Gabe. Thank you for having me on the program. I think many people are already aware that unemployment levels spiked at the beginning of the pandemic and that they remain high. Can you walk me through which demographic groups have been most affected? Yes. So I think one of the patterns that became very clear is that women have been more affected than men, especially younger women. So for example, in spring 2021, employment rates among women 20 to 24-year-olds were a full seven percentage points lower than before the pandemic, right? Whereas the overall employment rate only really fell by about 2%. Whoa. And then also we see unusually high fraction of men and women 60 and older that have stopped working. That applies for both genders. So I think those groups are primarily affected. Yeah. And so are there any long-term consequences when there's a higher unemployment rate among youth? We do see from prior research that young people entering the labor market, if they enter the labor market during a recession, we see long-term impacts on their careers. So there there's the concern that they simply have a hard time getting onto the job ladder and progressing along the job ladder to, to build a career. Whether that will be true in this recession, which was, after all, quite unusual, um, remains to be seen. But to the separations of young people coming out of college or out of high school and their difficulties in finding jobs early on, that can indeed have long-run consequences in making it harder for them to build careers. You mentioned that women were among the groups disproportionately affected. I was wondering if you could give me a little more detail. So I think there are two reasons why what some have called a she session, right? And one is the question of childcare and how school closures and closures of childcare places have disproportionately affected young mothers. But the second is also that young women disproportionately work in occupations that, and industries that were most heavily affected by closures, such as retail, hospitality, and food services. And so that has resulted in greater job loss for that demographic, for young women, but also for people in, from ethnic minorities and from immigrants who also tend to be disproportionately employed in these occupations. Unemployment has actually been declining for over a year now, I think since May 2020, although I understand we're still about 2% higher than we were pre-COVID in Canada, this is. Do you expect to see a regression as the federal government unwind some of the assistance programs? 
I think the withdrawal of these programs is likely to have diverging effects, right? So there are really two types of programs, broadly spoken. One of them was to insure people against income loss in case of unemployment or non-employment. And the longer those high benefits remain in place, we will expect some disincentive effect on work. So as the, the government reduces these benefits, I would expect more individuals to transition back into employment. But I wouldn't expect that to be particularly strong over the summer and early fall as we withdraw these, these benefits, since labor demand is currently very strong. The other program that has been very important is these wage subsidies that enabled employers to receive subsidies for maintaining their payroll, even when they experienced large revenue losses. And I mean, we would expect potentially some drag on the labor market as that gets wound down, maybe as some firms then need to close businesses. But again, with a backdrop of a really strong numbers in job postings and with consumer demand seemingly holding up, I do expect that the labor market will be able to absorb this. Right. So, you know, some people were laid off, but remained sort of unofficially employed during the first part of COVID. I was wondering if it's possible to summarize in layman's terms what you observed happening during the pandemic in terms of employment and unemployment and the sort of peaks and valleys of this. Yes, I think the phenomenon you refer to that was very evident during the first two or three months of the pandemic, so last March, April and May. And what we saw then was during the onset, there was this huge increase in two categories of the way that we categorize the population according to labor force in two categories that are usually very small. We saw a very big increase in individuals that report that they are on temporary layoff. So that is a group of individuals who are, say that they lost their job, but they expect to be recalled by their former employers. And the second group that really un rose unusually was this group of individuals that said they were still employed, but they also said that they're currently absent from their work and they are not being paid. And that group rose even more. If you combine those two groups, that comprised about 10% of the population of working age. So in one form or another, in that early phase, we saw that people were separated from their employees of employment, obviously for you no know, lockdown reasons, we had to contain the, the virus. But these people mostly expected to go back to employment. In the second phase of the labor market crisis, we actually saw most of these individuals come back to their former places of employment. Like the large majority of them actually did rejoin their former employers. But in that second phase in fall and early winter of 2020, we did see up a buildup of more traditional job loss and flows into what we call search unemployment. So unemployment where individuals are really looking for new employers rather than waiting to be recalled. And today that is the dominant group among unemployment. Uh-huh. That's interesting. And so given what we know about sort of long-term unemployment and how it can be, I think, sort of self-reinforcing is what economists say. It's harder to get a job if you don't have a job. What sort of government policies could best address the challenges that Canada faces if we emerge from this pandemic, as I think a lot of people are hoping happens sometime soon? Absolute priority has to remain on controlling the pandemic especially as we're going to move into fall with the new variants. 
but policies like building up robust test and tracing infrastructures to keep up the vaccination, maybe by incentivizing vaccinations further or by making them mandatory for some groups, such as students that want to go to campus. I don't exactly know which the appropriate policies are, but we have to make sure we don't face another wave with school closures, with lockdowns of businesses. The second thing is too is that we have seen a buildup in long-term unemployment. And that can be a very difficult problem to deal with. That is, once individuals are unemployed for six months, nine months, right, and we see a buildup in that group, it can become a reinforcing process. And there really we have to do the hard work that involves supporting in search, in search for new jobs, maybe training programs, active labor market policies. And also, we do have to accept to some degree that by winding down the income support programs, we will incentivize the unemployed to actually exert more effort in job search and therefore not become long-term unemployed. So I think those are like the broad policies that I would, would emphasize right now, both the withdrawal of the benefits, but flanked by policies that help the unemployed search for jobs, obtain training if they want to switch industries, acquire new skills, these type of policies. Yeah. I mean, you hear a lot about, you know, job training. Are are there sort of job training programs in the past that you can point to that say, like, look, this was really effective? I mean, there is, there's a really large literature in labor economics on this, and there are diverse sets of policies that have been shown to be successful. And it often depends on the specific design of each policies. But examples include programs where individuals are just being made aware of other occupations or industries that they can enter with with their own job, with their own skills that they already possess. But it can also involve things like helping people acquire the skills that enable them to maybe work virtually, to be, to work from home if they're not in those type of uh, employment situations. And then there is increasingly as the unemployment rate declines, as the pool of unemployed declines, you will reach populations don't have the very basic skills like putting up a good CV, designing a good CV, or you know knowing where to find job openings or job postings, and that needs prodding along those dimensions, prodding and support along those dimensions to be able to find work. There is a large literature that's with many well-researched studies that can help us design specific policies along those dimensions. Yeah. And the federal government, I think, is also talking about maybe bringing a national child care system into effect. Is there a lot of research in terms of what kind of impact this could have? Early on, you asked me in this interview about the demographic uh, effects of the recession. Like, And we know in particular that mothers of school-aged children were among those experiencing the largest job loss. And that has a lot to do, of course, with school closures and the lack of childcare. And we also know from the experience in Quebec that when subsidized childcare was introduced for children prior to primary school, that that helped draw a lot of women into the workforce. So those type of policies that extend childcare will have an effect on expanding the labor force from mothers of young children, in some cases, of course, also fathers from young children, but it tends to be still quite gendered in the, 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 the effects of, uh, of childcare on work participation. So I was reading one of your papers 
you wrote that this the pandemic has been a period during which labor economists had to question traditional ways of measuring and understanding the health of the labor market. And I was wondering if when you look back at it, there are certain major changes or things that you've learned during this time. Um, I mean, since this was a very unusual time in the labor market, we had to pivot very quickly in making sense on how the traditional measures actually map into better descriptions about the health of the labor market today. So we had to emphasize and think about how to interpret statistics on absenteeism from work, work hours. We had to think rapidly about how we're going to treat temporary unemployment. Like one of the trends that we have seen is that we have gotten a lot better at using vacancy statistics that are coming from unusual sources, right? So the Labor economists as a whole have gotten, I think, better at measuring those forms of unemployment that I just mentioned, but also getting real-time measures of the strength of labor demand. That's one aspect. A second aspect is we have seen very unusual movements in wages in the sense that actually average wages paid seemed to have increased substantially early in this recession. Um, But that is a selection effect, and that selection effect was very strong. What do I mean by a selection effect? Well, a lot of people who were laid off were paid less than the average employee. So if that happens, then the wage among those that remain to be employed goes up, but it's just a statistical artifact. So one of the more interesting trends to follow in the next year or so is to what extent are we actually seeing real wage growth as opposed to this statistical artifact that I just alluded to. Uh, Very interesting. Well, Fabian, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. That was Fabian Lanka, Canadian Research Chair in Labor and Personnel Economics at McGill University. Thanks to the team that made this Down to Business show possible, including Bryce Hall for music and production, Yudula Hussein for editing, and Pamela Heaven for web support. Lastly, thanks to the audience for supporting Down to Business by sharing episodes, rating us, and of course, for listening. I'm Gabe Friedman, and I'll be back next week. But until then, you can find all your business news at financialpost.com or in one of our five weekly newsletters covering energy, finance, economics, work, and investing.